You're listening to Forward, a podcast from faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, hosted by Michelle Knight, Josh Jipp, Madison Pierce, and James Arcadi. Forward invites listeners into the mission of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School through conversations with faculty, staff, and guests. Welcome to Forward, a TED's faculty podcast. I'm James Arcadi. I'm Michelle Knight. And I'm Josh Chip. Today's episode is sort of a special and unique one for us, uh, where instead of our, our sort of typical faculty interview format, uh, we're going to have a conversation among peers, among friends, uh, trying to think together about the theme of integrative theological pedagogy. Now, that's kind of a mouthful, but I'm really just trying to think about how do we as the seminary uh, educate for the whole person, for the whole truth, and for the whole world, and doing this in such a fashion that it actually brings together all of the disciplines and expertises that we have uh, on our campus. Um, and in order to do that, we're, we're excited to have with us Dr. Greg Forrester with us. Uh, Dr. Forrester uh, directs the Equinomia Network in the Center for Transformational Churches here at, uh, at Trinity. And, uh, and he's done a, really, a, a lot of work on this kind of integrative question. And so he's going to kind of help us think about things. And I'm really kind of I'm really excited about this, uh, this conversation that we're going to have. Um, but before we get to that conversation, uh, I did have an integrative question of sorts that I, I'm really hoping that Dr. Jip can help us out with. Dr. Hey. Knight, Michelle, oh. I know, yeah, uh, it's just that, uh, Michelle, we don't, we often co-host together. It's not often mm. that I get no, I totally a agree. real, you know. I feel like you're going to, you're, you're coming to get me, James. The real yeah. Josh Chip. I'm no, this is, I think this is right up your alley. No, this All is right. right up your, I hope so. It's right up your alley. So Mostly it's, I'm it's sad because like Dr. Pierce couldn't be here today. So I'm like really sad she's not going to get to like observe this whole phenomenon. <laughs> I can't wait. She can always she watch can, it later. She can listen to the podcast. She'll listen later. <laughs> She'll listen later. So, so Josh, this is a question at the intersection of, um, of New Testament, um, uh, ancient ethics, which I think you're working on right now, okay. and baseball. Oh, nice. There it is. <laughs> so, so my question is, um, yeah. suppose the Apostle Paul were a pitcher okay. or a pitching coach, and suppose he were facing a batter who was really crowding the plate. Oh, yeah. Would the Apostle Paul throw inside to instill fear in that batter? Oh, absolutely he would. He would throw absolutely. high and tight. Um, not, not to like damage the guy, you know, or, or, or anything, but just to like, Paul, Paul is totally fine using fear in order as, as long as it, you know, works towards the right end. And in a pragmatic uh, so, yeah, sense, I think, though. I think he would, I think he'd throw it high and tight and then probably come back, you know, with, uh, a, uh, a, a fastball on the, you know, low and outside for, you know, strike three or something. So you think Paul would actually be like loving his batter neighbor by throwing at him? Well, if you're in a contest, I mean, he wants, Paul wants to win, right? He seems like a winner. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what he says in, a lot in his epistles? I'm here to win. He says he buffets his body, right? So that he's not going to be disqualified. That's the, that's, that's the kind of like, training of a man that is not going to lose um and so yeah i think I, I i think paul's definitely a winner cutthroat 
That's a guy that throws inside. Yeah. If he needs to. Hmm. If he needs to. He's, he he's going to come high and to, tight. Huh? Little chin music. I throw at my kids once in a while. If I think like, <laughs> just like you need to, um, you know, they're, they're, it, 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 well, I won't, I won't go into all the details, but you know, it, it's, it's, lessons it's, with it's, Dr. it's part Josh, of training but... them to be better, better baseball players. And I'll, yeah. you know, so mm. if I would do it, certainly Paul would. Oh, is that how we do it Jesus? <laughs> oh, that's, you're never going to live that down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll I, see. We'll, we'll see how how um how much Paul actually creates a, a hospitable environment for the batters in the batter's box. Maybe ooh, he's not. Okay. Okay. Mm, you know, Paul is a chameleon. He can do different things at different <laughs> times depending upon the situation, as long as it's to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in one instance, it might be high and tight. In another instance, it might be turning strangers into friends and family. Just depends wow. on the situation. Wow. Do you agree, mind. Michelle? hospitality i'm glad we got that back in there full circle full circle i don't know we'll see that's interesting uh, interesting point we'll see if, if, if you know if in the afterlife there is a heavenly baseball team what uh, yeah. what the apostle paul would actually would actually know, do right let's wow. let's just all make sure we persevere to the end so we can find out can't wait Amen. Well, um, I, we may not have this ethical dilemma come up in our conversation, but 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 we'll have some conversation regarding our integrative theological pedagogy, and we're really excited for you to listen along with us. Well, welcome to Forward, uh, Ted's faculty podcast. We are uh, so excited to have uh, Greg Forrester with us today with Michelle and Josh and myself thinking about this issue of integrative theological pedagogy, sort of how do we think about um, the task that we are engaging in uh, on the seminary campus, in the seminary curriculum, and bringing together uh, all aspects of theological reflection or even aspects of, of learning in, um, in general. And, um, and so I thought I might just kind of start off asking the two biblical scholars in the room, uh, Michelle in Old Testament, Josh in, in New Testament. Um, like when I kind of think about biblical studies, I sort of think about that as by nature an integrative discipline or an integrative subdiscipline. Do you think about it that way? Do you think about your relationship to biblical studies as akin to a historian or a literary theorist or a theologian or a philosopher? Or sort of how do you think about the task of biblical studies as an integrative enterprise? Maybe Michelle, just since you're Old Testament, we ought to start with you, right? Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, I mean, you made a helpful distinction between how my discipline generally conducts itself and how I see myself within that discipline. So those mm. are uh, questions I would answer differently. I mean, historically, biblical studies has done everything it possibly can to distinguish itself um, as a historical discipline over against a theological discipline. And so what ends up being interesting in biblical studies, whereas there are a lot of places where we'd say, well, theology and biblical studies are very close. Um, in some ways, biblical studies is trying to do what it can to, to shed that or was at least in the 20th century. Um, I would say maybe Josh, you can speak to whether that's true in New Testament studies to the same degree. I think a lot of um, Old Testament scholars still see them, their tasks to be primarily historical, uh, just mm. because the, the cultural landscape of the Old Testament is so distinct from um, our own that a lot of Old Testament scholars see their role to be providing that historical context to aid in the interpretive endeavor. 
my uh, inclination and my own skill set and my own interests within my discipline, perhaps the sub sub discipline, uh, depending on what we're calling disciplines at this point. I am a literary theorist at heart. And so I'm borrowing not from the historian's handbag, but from that of literary analysis and literary studies and narrative criticism and those sorts of tools. And so I occasionally will sit down with an English professor and see more in common with them than with mm. some of my colleagues who are doing some of these super different Old Testament studies. Mm. That being the case, I mean, there's also a lot of integration with the social sciences, uh, particularly at the end of the 20th century. There was a push toward that in both archaeology and Old Testament um, studies proper. And so I think that there is integration at every turn, whether it's with history, uh, historical studies broadly um, of the German variety or otherwise, or some of these other disciplines. But I think that hmm. Um, within the Theological Academy in particular, we have some room uh, to be reconsidering, perhaps, given what's happened in the last century, how we can do something truly integrative. That's fascinating. Yeah, Josh, I would, New Testament, yeah. I, I mean, probably pretty similar to what Michelle mm -hmm. said. I certainly, uh, New Testament studies has the same kind of pedigree in terms of the lore of the discipline uh, coming out of Germany and France that really emphasizes this is a disinterested historical task that um, maybe we can uh, do our work and then give it to the theologians. And then there's even a pushback saying like, you, you shouldn't even be thinking about that. You'll contaminate the results. And so even if you hope to give, you know, your results to the, the theologians, uh, that's going to be problematic. This should, you know, the so um so much emphasis on history that at times it can be um uh looked at in a way that there's a lot of shock value so it's unusable you know almost for the church but i would say yeah there's um and michelle talking about like a literary turn in biblical studies i still think i think as people still consider themselves to be histo historians as biblical scholars or at least mm -hmm. needing to be familiar with that most are or many at least would um uh, would speak to the value of literary theory and narrative analysis and so forth. Within the last 30 or 40 years, though, I think there's been a lot of proliferation in terms of questions and different methods that are uh, intentionally integrative. Um, mm. So sometimes you might re people might refer to those as ideological, or they might refer to them as integrative, or they might refer to those as methods that you know take our social locatedness more seriously. And there's so much there. I won't try to get into that, but it does at minimum for a theological institution. I think uh, allow us to also look at different disciplines or contemporary questions we might have um, and, and, and ask those questions and then say, can the Bible help us? Does, is the Bible a resource? Does the Bible uh, show the same sort of questions that we might be seeing pop up in, uh, uh, in sociology, or even if we just open our eyes and sort of look and see, you know, what's, what's going on in the world. So, uh, yeah. so much of this depends on how the individual professor or scholar, I think, imagines herself in terms of, uh, what his or her vocation is. But, um, uh, there's certainly plenty of space to be integrative these days, it seems. That's really interesting. And, and, and Greg, I'm kind of curious, uh, both Michelle and Josh referred to sort of some historical trends um, in, you know, how one perceives biblical studies or other areas. So, you know, 
gross oversimplification uh, here, um, but one narrative one might put out there is that um, at one point in the West, uh, maybe in the medieval period, there was this grand integration of all learning. And then modernity came around and shattered everything and fragmented all of these things in these various discrete areas of, of study. And, and maybe we're now just barely kind of trying to put the pieces together. That's obviously a gross oversimplification, but do you see some truth in that in some of these subdisciplines or how might you sort of see the ways in which they talked about it? at one point, it was kind of like this, but maybe now we're seeing some different, different approaches to doing integrative biblical slash theological studies. Well, I will join you in shamelessly oversimplifying. Uh, as I like to say, if you go down to the paint store, you will discover that they do sell broad brushes because <laughs> they have a legitimate use. Um, so with that caveat in place, uh, one thing I think it's important to recognize is that modernity is not an exogenous force that comes in from the outside mm. and smashes what was a perfectly self-sustaining, perfectly harmonious you know, uh, uh, harmonization that could have got continued to infinity if only this e evil nefarious force called modernity had not, you know, descended from Mars or something, right? Yeah. Uh, at my initial training is in social science, so I'm always looking for the endogenous cause. Where did this begin within the system? Mm. Uh, and if you look, you discover that the, the disintegrating factors in modernity have roots in medieval uh, theological and philosophical thought and in developments that have nothing to do with intellectual trends, uh, uh whatsoever. Uh, but that sort of that caveat in place, there's definitely a, a key shift from the pre-modern to the postmodern world. And, uh, the fragmentation of knowledge is a key, uh, marker of uh, the shift into the modern as opposed to the pre-modern way of organizing our lives. It's a way of organizing knowledge. Uh, my friend Paul Williams, uh, who has a, a really good book out called uh, Exiles on Mission, uh, which is about sort of being Christian in the modern world, uh, he once referred to this as the Weberian rationalization of the academy. Uh, sort of Whoa. Max Weber. Well, I, I see, and I grabbed that because, and I quote that because it's very useful. Uh, Max Weber was a sociologist who looked at how factories worked. And he talked about how the, the division of labor on a factory line changes the nature of the work and changes the way it affects people. And in the long run, changes social organization as a whole. Hmm. Uh, now, Max Weber got a lot of particular things wrong, and I'm not here saying Max Weber got everything right. But uh, thinking about how the division of labor affects our ability to see synoptically when we've been kind of siloed is really helpful. And the the, ninth, the 18th and especially 19th century changes in the academy that emphasize a sort of divide and conquer, division of labor. Each di each discipline gets to do its own thing. Mm -hmm. That's a, I mean, you you uh, Josh, you referred to uh, anxieties that we might uh, taint the scholarship if we think mm -hmm. too much about mm -hmm. what happens down the line when people use the knowledge we produce. That's the Weberian rationalization, yeah. right? stick on the assembly line. I mean, mm -hmm. just think of it and, you know, stick to your position on the assembly yeah. line. And if you start to meddle with somebody else's position, you know, in the line, the line will be disrupted and you can't yeah. have that, right? You've got to do your thing and stick to it. Um, one thing that really stood out to me listening to the, the two of you speak is that um, each discipline tends to have its own narrative for what integration means and how we do it. Mm. It's a positive sign now 
as we're kind of coming out the other end of the of the Weberian moment, if I could call it, this is all unfair to Weber because he he didn't like this dynamic, right? He observed it. He wasn't mm. advocating it, right? But as we come out the other end of this and we start to aspire to integration, uh, it's a positive development that nowadays each discipline is thinking about integration. On the other hand, each discipline's thinking about it differently. So, mm. for example, systematic theology thinks of yeah. itself as an integrative discipline but has very different narrative about what integration is and how we do it. And there's some touch points to the literary theory that you were mentioning. If we talk about hermeneutic theology as distinct from analytic theology, Uh, but the whole question of how you hold hermeneutics and analytics together is itself a a perplexing problem for, for systematic theology. Uh, So we're, and we're thinking about it sort of in systematic theology using different language. And uh, Josh, you referred to the lore of the discipline, right? Mm -hmm. We've got our own lore of the, so on the one hand, I'm encouraged that everybody or every, everybody, you know, many, many people are now concerned about integration. On the other hand, we talk about integration in different language and we have different narratives and different conceptual tools for mm-hmm. doing it. So it just kind of reminds you of what a long, what a long path we still have to, to go. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious about that point you, you bring up there, Greg, and, and not to like, you know, indict the seminary or anything like my, my our, our point here is to kind of just think critically about what we're doing. But I, I kind of wonder if we have this sort of like a, sometimes an assembly line perspective on even something like the MDiv. I mean, I sort of imagine in my own sort of area, I, I think, well, you know, uh, a student comes to, to study an MDiv and I, I send them off to Josh to learn their Greek and their New Testament. And they get sent off to Michelle to do some Old Testament. We send them off to the church history department to do some church history. They come to me for some theology. And then we mm-hmm. send them off to the, the, the practical area to learn how to preach or, or what have you. And I mean, I don't know. It, 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 have we be, have we been conceiving of the seminary as an assembly line? Part of that too, James. I think that's interesting. Is uh, you know we all do our work to pass you know the students off to the theologians, the queen of the sciences. But <laughs> how many in New Testament or Old Testament are going to let a theologian teach a course on Genesis or? you know, a course yeah. on Pauline theology, then, right, then our, then our discipline, you know, disciplinary instincts, at least, right, start to get really, ner- re- you know, really nervous. Yeah. Well, and I have to admit, James, I can think of like four different lectures. You know this because I clued you into this, but I can think of like four different lectures where a student asked a question and I'm like, that's a really great question. This is what the text says. And that's my job. Uh, if you have that <laughs> question, you should ask Dr. Arcadi about that. Um, partially, not because I'm dedicated to these disciplinary you know, lines, but the fact is we've all been educated according Mm. to these disciplinary silos. So there's also the fact that I am luckily rubbing shoulders with people who are growing my ability daily to be able to talk Mm -hmm. about these things, but I am not equipped to answer some of these questions because of the disciplinary fractures that exist in the academy. In fact, my luckily my education is less fractured than some because of where I studied, but, Mm. um, but there are just certain questions that I don't have the historical, uh, the historical perspective, let alone kind of the systematic analytical tools to express very well. And so well, I guess I'm just, I'm indicting myself a little bit, I suppose. Well, and, you know, to deepen the bill of indictment before I say a few nice words about the seminary, even <laughs> the, the process of writing a PhD emphasizes uh, hyper specialization, right? Yeah. Your professional qualification to en- enter academic work 
is the narrowest possible, you know, it really hammers you to, to specialize in something extremely narrow. Now, uh, I'll say two nice things about the seminary, uh, because we all love the seminary and think the seminary is indispensable. And that's why we're talking about how can we do better? Right? Yeah. Because honestly, there's no alternative. Um, somebody, a friend of mine recently said, you know, if all the seminaries disappeared tomorrow, we would have to invent them again. Because there, there needs to be some way to steward the theological knowledge tradition and to train people uh, uh, to be theological representatives and, and, and practitioners. So we're, it's not going away, although uh, it may change to any extent. So two nice things I want to say about the seminary. One is the division of labor has accomplished a lot. Uh, it came in for a reason. So, for example, Michelle, uh, when, when you just said, you know, if you have this question, I can talk to you about that. But if you have that question, that's not my department. The reason that kind of thing ha uh, happens is within your specialty, you can you can do really, really well because you have trained uh, to do that. And if you roll back history 200 years, the level of technical proficiency mm -hmm. in theological scholarship is much lower you know, the, the 19th and 20th centuries have been a period of great technical advancements. And let's acknowledge this, the division of labor has been good hmm. uh, in, in producing that technology. You know, you go back and read theology from the 17th century. They're not careful with the way they use texts. Often they're not going back to the original languages. Even citations are often a mess. Uh, no, so we're, we're bashing the historians now who, who are not in the room, you know, to, to defend themselves. But um, so, you know, the, the, the division of labor has accomplished good things. Let's not kind of paint the, the, the past all wrong. And then the other thing about the seminary uh, is uh, this is a place where people are asking these questions and people are mm. feeling the need for integration. Um, and in the advanced modern world, that's unusual. Uh, the seminary has become kind of one of the one of the leading places, at least in my experience, where people are asking the integration question and and really pursuing it. And from the outside, it may not look like this is being done because the things you see from the outside tend to be uh, sort of the things that accreditors watch mm. and count, or uh, the quantitative metrics, which obviously are important. Uh, or the, the questions that uh, people are asking when they're making a decision whether to attend seminary, which is not necessarily the questions that we're asking internally, mm. uh, because as the people who are in the seminary, we kind of we're responsible to think about the future of theological education in a way that the average incoming student is just not tasked. With, with, but, you know, on the website, we have to focus on the things that people are asking when they make the decision whether to come. So, you know, th there's a lot, you peel it back and there's a lot more conversation about this than it may look like from the outside. Hmm. That's, that's, that's really fascinating. Now, um, I, both, both Josh and Michelle, when you talked about um, biblical studies, you both talked about um, some areas which you might kind of put under the category of like secular studies or, um, you know, non-theological disciplines, whether it's literary theory or social sciences or, or the like. And, and Graham, I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on this too. Is, is, you know, what, what about not just integrating in the theological disciplines, but also the non-theological disciplines to use that as well? Or, or maybe we, we want to say that's kind of a, an unnecessary bifurcation. Perhaps there are some other, I don't know, uh, antecedent commitments to the way in which all of reality works that would make this kind of an integration sort of possible. So maybe the, the question is just like, what do we think about bringing in uh, quote unquote, non-theological disciplines into our areas of expertise or even into the seminary as a whole.
do you want, is that for anyone or do you want to hear yeah, Craig sure. talk about that? No, 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 anyone. That's fine. I mean, I think my, my dissertation director used to often say that it was incredibly important that we didn't just only stay in Bible land as New mm. Testament scholars for a variety of reasons. Um, but one of them was uh, for him. And I mean, he was certainly one that was deeply like trained in um, kind of the, uh, the, the, the lore of the discipline, the past that we've been talking about, but the, the whole reason to um, be proficient in knowing what the New Testament says is so that you're able to speak to human existence. And for mm-hmm. him, sometimes it was theology. Sometimes it was just, you know, the, these authors asked the right questions about human existence that we are still asking today. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, at least for me, it's, you know, I know I'll never be a sociologist. I'll know I'll never be a political scientist or, or whatever it may be, but, um, but at minimum, it felt it felt to me as though these disciplines often are asking questions and then giving us uh, answers or at least uh, sensibilities for how to think about the world we live in that can shape the way, uh, not necessarily the way that we read the text, but you can actually see new things in the text or you can um, put the text in conversation with the world that we're we're living in so Hmm. um so for me there's uh again knowing i'll never be you know trained in that discipline uh as much as i can i I feel it makes my biblical scholarship better when i'm able to draw on uh, and learn from some of the best of uh the insights of other disciplines Hmm. well and ultimately our students and the people they're going to be teaching and the people they're going to be working alongside uh, they don't, you know, bracket off their biblical knowledge uh, from mm. the knowledge that they have or the questions that they have about how the economy is working or how voting should happen or, you know, what Middle East peace talks should look like. Or, you know, we can think of a million different uh, situations or questions that are being posed. They don't bracket off that knowledge in application. And so I would prefer if we at our best when we're writing and when we're teaching and we're discussing these things are in conversation with others who are thinking deeply in those subject areas, uh, we have a better chance of modeling for students, uh, for people who come to our churches, um, for whomever is discussing these, uh, how to connect their Christian view of the world, what the Bible has said about existence uh, to these uh, concrete problems. And so the mm-hmm. more integrative our work is, the more likely we are to be able to give people some methodological help um, mm. in, in bringing all of these things together, which is ultimately what people do every day all day they don't have the luxury of separating things out because it's life i do i totally agree with michelle i also think it is hard for there there are certain challenges for us as faculty going back to you know some of what greg was saying earlier as well in terms of um but in order like for us to do that there's also a level of like you know, and I know this is silly, right? That's why I'm using scare quotes, but like mastering your discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's an expectation that you are going to be thoroughly rooted in your discipline. You're going to know the history. You're going to be, you know, um, uh, uh, you're going to know the languages and so forth, be, you know, um, uh, and then doing this extra step while rich and beneficial. And to some extent, the whole reason we, uh, you know, care about seminary because we care about God and the world that he's created, um, uh, requires a lot of, ex- a lot of extra 
yes. work and you're mm. not always necessarily rewarded for it. You know, mm. stay in your yeah. lane as long as you want I, at most places, right. I think. And you know, move up through the ranks and you'll get rewarded for it just fine, you know, without, without the difficult work. Greg, I see you're, you know, good. Yeah. I think the long-term telos of this conversation is that the, the way people are rewarded for what they Mm -hmm. do needs to, needs to include uh, rewarding integrative work as opposed to just rewarding uh, more and more specialized work. And the, Mm. the, the professions are structured in, in, or the academic disciplines are structured so the professional rewards go to specialization. You know, at the same time, we are finite creatures and mm-hmm. we, we yeah. can't do it all. Yeah. And organizing knowledge into some sort of structure that allows us to specialize to some extent is, is probably necessary and good. Um, you know, the old, the old medieval model of the sage who knew everything really uh, may, may not have been adequate when it was, uh, when it was dominant and probably uh, can't, can't handle a world of the vast complexity with all the knowledge available uh, to us now. Mm. Um, I wanted to mention two quick specific examples uh, of integration between the theological and non-theological disciplines to show yeah. that it, uh, how it can be helpful. Yeah. So one is a friend of mine named Steve McMullen, who is the head of something, or no, he, he edits the journal of something called the Association of Christian Economists. Okay. Uh, and he collaborated with a colleague at his school, Hope College, uh, in the religion department, Todd Steen. Uh, and Steve and Todd co-wrote a series of papers uh, asking theological questions about the way the economics discipline does its work. Hmm. Uh, and what's, what's distinctive about this is it goes beyond sort of having theology set uh, a value system or something like that. And it actually goes to methodological questions in the discipline. Uh, So one of the papers is about work uh, and how Mm -hmm. the discipline of economics assumes that work is always a cost, Mm -hmm. sort of undifferentiated assumption that if you can get a thousand dollars without working, that's always better than getting a thousand dollars by working for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas the theology of work shows that work is a meaningful activity. Uh, and this explains results that economists are baffled by, uh, that in situations where people get money without working for it, it doesn't necessarily make them better off, mm. uh, which economists can't explain. Mm. Uh, because to have more money is an undifferentiated good, and to have to work for it is an undifferentiated evil. Uh, and yet, people thrive better when they work and achieve. Mm. And theology of work can explain that. On the other hand, they wrote another paper on theology of leisure, uh, the discipline of economics assumes leisure time is an undifferentiated good, and it doesn't care how you spend it. Mm. Right? For an economist, an extra hour of leisure is equally beneficial no matter what you do with it. Whereas from a theological perspective, we know some forms of leisure or entertainment or self-betterment uh, are much more valuable than others You know, in the sight of the Lord. Interesting. Uh, and so, anyway, the, it went beyond sort of the traditional approach and actually critiqued methodology and sort of challenged economists with findings that are anomalous uh, in their discipline. Uh, but then on the other on the other side, uh, a friend of mine who's a missiologist uh, created a class in his seminary called Faith, Business, and Money. Uh, and in the thirteen weeks that it met, he had eight of the weeks set aside, and he asked eight colleagues to come in. Uh, and turned over the class for the entire meeting to each person. Uh, and they came from all the disciplines across the seminary and just said, talk to us about business and money in your discipline of, of theological education. So they had New Testament people come in, Old Testament people come in, systematics, history, etc. 
uh, and just gave them an open field. And he said not only did that expose the students to a wide variety of theological learning on faith, business, and money, but the, the faculty members came away having asked totally new questions. Sort of mm. their awareness of the, the role of business and money in the Bible was greatly increased by having someone ask, please come in and talk to us about this. And whatever this means in your discipline, we'll let you kind of have the wheel. Uh, that was beneficial to them in their work. Yeah, no, that's super fascinating. Thanks for, for sharing that, Craig. And I, and I, I, I love at least in those illustrations. It seems like you're kind of painting a picture where it's almost like a, a two-way street or a conversation, like, you know, theology can actually have something to say to economics. So it's not just like, you know, oh, here, you need some economic theory to help you understand your theology. You're, you're saying you need some theology to understand your economics. Right. No, and, that's... And, and, uh... To get beyond sort of the, the, the traditional approaches to interdisciplinary uh, collaboration are limited, to get mm. beyond those limitations, the person in discipline A needs to be improved in the practice of discipline A by their encounter with discipline B. Mm. So it's not simply accumulating a smorgasbord of insights, but actually I, as a practitioner of, of A, am going to be improved in my doing of A by what I learn from the people mm -hmm. in B. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool, and I mean, I just kind of want to pick up a, th a thread, uh, kind of a re related to that, but in, in conjunction with what um, I think Michelle was saying about the, kind of the questions that are rising from students and from uh, you know the people that we are teaching and the people to whom they will be ministering in the future, Bec uh, because it's almost like it's um, the other side of the coin that I was thinking, like, why do integration? So on one side of the coin, I was thinking maybe as a theologian. Well, why do we do, do integration? Because God is unified and, and all truth is from God and all truth is God's truth. And so all the, the panoply of disciplines are just different ways of reflecting how God has revealed himself in, in the world. So that's motivation. An integrated source leads to an integrated uh, area of discipline. But Michelle, you're kind of coming at it from the opposite side, which is also true, I think, is that humans are integrated. You know, I'm not just a theologian, you know, I also have other hats that I wear, you know, and our students are not just going to be, you know, monolithic entities, they're going to have multifaceted uh, vocations, and they're going to have multifaceted um, ways of engaging with these various vocations and, and, and what have you. And so there's, there's integrations on, on both sides, like the source of all knowledge, and the recipient of the knowledge. And our kind of, you know, effort is made up to, to bring them together or put them together in, in a robust fashion. But so I kind of wonder then about one component that is a part of the seminary curriculum, but maybe sometimes is underappreciated. But I'm wondering if it's actually more central than we at times think, which is like the spiritual formation component or like your actual relationship to God. It's like not just relationship to the knowledge stuff a relationship to the person stuff. So, I don't know, how, how do you all see, or maybe even in your classes or in your interactions with students, I mean, what role does like the actual personal transformation and, and personal uh, spiritual formation play in how you think about doing your disciplinary work in your, in your, in your teaching? Well, in standard, uh, you know, university fashion, you know, the, the formation groups have a separate place in the curriculum. So if we're not careful, we can bifurcate that into its own little silo as well. Yeah. Though, I mean, the, the newest ways of talking about education, you know, according to ATS and all sorts of places are to talk about transformation mm. uh, and to talk about, uh, you know, whole portion formation. Uh, and so insofar as that is an insightful way to describe what we're doing here, our job is to form people into certain kinds of people. 
Um, and those skills are a part of that. Um, but if we can think about that formative goal holistically, I mean, and we take that seriously, then our classes can fairly organically fit into a mold where spiritual formation is, is what every, even information heavy element of our education is serving. Mm. Um, if we are kind of thinking about that really, I mean, I'm speaking very abstractly, but if we can prioritize that and concretize that, I think that's what we're doing up and down kind of everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I agree with what Michelle's saying for sure. I think there can sometimes be um, people that like to imagine they're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum where I want to deliver my content and others are about, no, it's all about skills and virtues and transformation. And I think all of us, you know, are <laughs> speaking, especially Old Testament, New Testament, like we want, we want people to learn and yes, have content and grow in their ability to be able to say, this is what the text says. But, um, but at the same time, I mean, when we, when you're teaching something like the word of God, then to think that you could do it in a way that isn't about, you know, trying to create space for a transformative encounter, um, uh, between the community and between, um, between God as, you know, we're reading the text, uh, I think would play too much into that old, old model of sort of like bifurcating, you know, history and exegesis from, from theology. So, um, yeah, in my, in my classes, I, uh, certainly try to deliver a lot of content, but I also want them to be reading the text and asking questions about God and about their own lives and the world that we're living in in part also to develop a sensibility of this is how I read scripture all, all, all the time. Um, but you know, we have such limited time in our class classes. Sometimes it can feel easier just to want to be like, I've got a lot of material that's so good. Mm. I want to share with you. Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's obviously it's challenging. You know, I think the history of spiritual formation in the seminary is really interesting. Uh, mm. They're, they're relatively new. Uh, in its current form, uh, hmm. in the 19th and 20th centuries, the, the movement was towards more and more academic model of what the seminary was. Hmm. Uh, and that's partly because the formation task was assumed to have been done before you arrived at hmm. seminary. As one, uh, one seminary professor said to me, we've inherited a curriculum that assumes that our students are disciples of Christ in a holistic hmm. way before hmm. they step onto campus. And I don't know whether we were entitled to that assumption before, but we're not <laughs> entitled to that assumption now, and we need to uh, rethink. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was also a result of this division of uh, division of labor imperative, which uh, formation really falls off the radar on, in the division of labor uh, uh, model. So the adoption of spiritual formation tracks in the late 20th century was a mitigative attempt to swim a, swim upstream against mm -hmm. this academic model of what the seminary was here to do. So I think it was a step in the right direction. Uh, you sort of resisting the fragmentation of modernity, but, uh, now we need to be thinking and we already are thinking in terms of formation as an academic goal rather mm. than as something that exists alongside academics, sort of academics in class, spiritual formation in the track. We get formation needs to be, a, a, an element of academic excellence. And I think that's partly true because uh, you can't do good integrative work without being formative. There are two peas in a pod or two sides of the coin. Uh, and so if we want, like you said, James, uh, reality is integrated. 
Yeah. And the ethical, the ethical demands we live under uh, demand integration. So that means formation. Um, but it also, it's also because in the advanced modern world, we're sending people out to an increasingly fragmented social situation. If we're not forming them to see coherence uh, and meaning and to have self-sustaining ways of holding on to coherence and meaning in a social environment that's tearing them in a thousand directions at once, we're not doing our job uh, preparing them for, for what they're going to face. So I'm encouraged. I mean, Michelle mentioned the new standards from the Association of Theological Schools that are coming. There's a big movement in theological education to own this mission. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to what the Lord has in the coming generation in our seminaries. That is a really provocative uh, conversation for us to be having here. And I'm so glad that we were able to just maybe just scratch the surface. I think there's many more layers here for us to be thinking about and creative ways for us to be partnering across the seminary to actually achieve some of these goals that I think we agree are, are good things. Um, and yet we're, 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 we're trying to find ways in which to bring this together uh, across the campus and in our conversations and in our lives as well. So thanks very much, Greg, for being with us today and for helping us think through these really important topics. Thanks for having me. I was uh, really had a blast. Thanks, Greg. And that's just the forward. That was a really uh, important and I think interesting conversation. It gave me a lot to think about and uh, a lot that I'm going to continue thinking about. And I really look forward to having further conversations with, with you and, and, and Dr. Pierce and other of our colleagues from across campus and thinking about how we do this sort of integrative work that I, I think is so Im important to what we're doing here um, at, at TEDS. I uh, really want to invite you listeners to partner along with us. Let's have the conversation together. Feel free to jump on to Twitter or Facebook. Let us know how you're thinking about integration, whether you're a student or your faculty at TEDS or other institutions. How do you think about bringing together all of these uh, various theological disciplines and, and non-theological disciplines into the work that you're doing um, uh, in, in the seminary environment or whatever environment you find yourself? So uh, I'm grateful to Greg Forrester for being with us today of the Aquinomia Network, as well as uh, which is part of the Center for Transformational Churches here at Trinity. Uh, shout out to the CTC and especially Donald Guthrie and Taylor Worley. They've been supporters of the podcast since its launch, and we're really grateful for the ways they've supported us, as well as the ways they're doing this integrative work um, across our seminary and the network of seminaries they participate in uh, as well. Uh, also shout out to our producer, Curtis Pierce, um, who makes us look and sound better than we do in real life, at least me. And thanks to my co-host for joining in this conversation today. I'm James Arcadi. And I'm Michelle Knight. And I'm Josh Jip. Forward is a podcast hosted by faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. You can subscribe to our newest episodes on your preferred podcast app or at forwardpodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Forward Podcast to get updates and additional links to content. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School is located 25 miles north of Chicago, with extension sites across the country and online. Trinity educates men and women to engage in God's redemptive work in the world by cultivating academic excellence, Christian faithfulness, and lifelong learning. You can find more information at teds.edu.